0: Let's pray together. Father, we thank You and we sing hallelujah today because You've given us life and we want to exalt You because You are a majestic King. You are high and You are holy and the whole earth is full of Your glory. We pray that this room will be full of Your glory. We pray that our lives will overflow with Your glory this week, Lord, as we humble ourselves before You. We pray, Lord, that You will lift us up Forgive us for times, Lord, when we try to lift ourselves up and then we have to be humbled. So, Lord, today we humble ourselves consciously and we simply say to you, Lord, what we have not, give us. What we know not, teach us. What we are not, make us. For your glory alone, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. He is risen. He is risen indeed. This is the second Sunday of Easter. You thought, well, I didn't know there was more than one Sunday. But for centuries past, Christians have celebrated seven consecutive Sundays of Easter leading all the way into Pentecost. And in my own heart, I just, I, I think uh, like one Sunday is not enough to celebrate God's great victory over death and His offer of life to us. And as we worshiped together last week, and we thought about God as our life giving God. In what ways has God given you life this week? How has God shown you life and poured life into you this week? And what will you do in response to that? Fyodor Dostoevsky, one of the great Russian novelists, had a a life-transforming experience Early in his life, he was part of a group of young men who opposed the emperor, uh, the czar, uh, czar Nicholas I. And Nicholas caught them and accused them of treason. And he carried out a mock execution. He dressed them in white burial shrouds and he marched them out blindfolded, hands bound behind their backs. And um, the, he said, Ready, aim. And they were prepared to die. And then a horse on cue came through and said, the emperor has commuted your sentence. You don't have to die, but you're sentenced to 10 years of hard labor. And Dostoevsky, out of that experience, he never overcame it. He said, out of that experience, um, I will be born again a new person. And on his way to the train to go to Siberia for 10 years, a devout Christian handed him a New Testament. And he spent those 10 years in prison immersing his life in the New Testament, learning about who Jesus is and what Jesus had done for him. And he came out of that with this powerful statement. He said, my life is so connected with Christ that if somebody could prove to me that Christ was not in the truth, I would rather have Christ. I would rather stay close to Christ. Christ is all to me and most important to me. It's as if he was saying, since our life-giving God has given life to me, then I am going to give life my whole life back to God. One of the poets who has inspired me in recent days is Mary Oliver, who says, um, So, what were you planning to do with your one wild, precious life? You've got to do something with your life. What are you going to do with it? And the Apostle Paul had some ideas about that. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36, chapter 12 verse 1. Most of us know chapter 12, verse 1. I wonder how many of us know uh, the verses that come before it. It's one of the most beautiful doxologies in all of Scripture. I shared it with you a couple weeks ago when I talked about getting in the offering plate. I want to read it aloud with you this morning, and then I want us to look at uh, some, some stories, some pictures, just two vignettes in the Gospel of Luke. So let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. And it's so powerful when we read it together. Would you just read it together with me this morning? Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable His judgments and His past beyond tracing out! Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. The Apostle Paul knew what it was like to have his life given back to him. He thought he was living the life. He was a very religious man. He was persecuting the Christians as a rabbi uh, in the tradition of the Pharisees. He had a great teacher, Gamaliel. He thought he had life figured out. And for him, life was stopping these Christians who were causing so much trouble in Jerusalem. And so he pursued them. He stood there and held the coats of those who stoned Stephen to death. And then he was on his way to Damascus to catch the Christians there. And on his way north. On that road, God got his undivided attention, blinded him with a dazzling bright light, and spoke to him and said, Why are you persecuting me? And after Ananias touched him and restored his sight for the rest of his life, Paul lived life in full 360 degree view of God's mercy. He knew that God had given him mercy. And as a result of that, he gave his whole life back to God. So it wasn't like we do sometimes compartmentalizing life and saying, okay, God, you get my Sunday morning from uh, 10 o'clock to twelve fifteen. God, it's all yours. Do whatever you want in those two hours and 15 minutes. But for Paul, it was 168 hours a week, 52 weeks a year. Uh, it was 365 days a year for the rest of his life. He gave his life to God. Now, Paul didn't do this alone. We're going to be studying the book of Acts together for most of the rest of the year. And we learn in that that Paul had companions. He had Barnabas, who was one of the ones who welcomed him into the church in Jerusalem. Uh, Silas and he were there in the the jail in Philippi when they were singing praises. And there was an earthquake and they were set free. And God gave them their lives and they gave their lives back to God again. But one of uh, Paul's maybe less famous friends was a physician named Luke. And we know actually from the Bible when Luke was with Paul. For instance, in the book of Acts, often Luke is writing in the third person plural. So he says, they did this and they did that. But every once in a while, they'll come to a new city and he will say, and we... And we so he joined Paul and went with Paul for that period of time and I was thinking if this is kind of Paul's sort of vision statement for life in view of God's mercy Romans 12 1 in view of God's mercy give your bodies as a living sacrifice to God how did Luke get a front row seat to that what did he see and later in Luke's life he's going to write Jesus story and when he writes Jesus' story, the biography of Jesus, he's very careful. He, he's researched it. He wants it to be completely accurate. And as he tells this story, I saw this week as I'm reading through the New Testament with you, writing these daily devotionals that we're uh, sending you online if you want them. Um, and as I was reading that, I just realized, so Luke saw the same thing that Paul saw. He saw it in a couple of lives. When Jesus came to Jericho, he encountered a blind man and a small man. And He changed both of their lives. Because this is the way God changes the world. One life at a time. He reaches into one life, transforms that life, and that person becomes uh, an image bearer, restored to the image of God. That person begins then to share this good news with others. And one life at a time. So Jesus comes to Jericho, and the first person He encounters is a blind man who is shouting at the top of his lungs, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And then after He heals him, he looks up in a tree and he sees Zacchaeus, and calls him down and goes to Zacchaeus's house. And the beautiful part of this story is that Jesus see, if you ever wonder, if you ever wonder what our life-giving God is doing, here it is. He's just giving life. So wherever Jesus went, he gave life. So he goes to Jericho and he gives life by restoring the sight of a blind man. He gives life to Zacchaeus, who to that point in his life had always thought that life was about the accumulation of possessions. And in one fell swoop, Jesus shows him what real life is. And what I want us to observe today is that in view of God's mercy, both of them gave their lives as living sacrifices to God. Let's look at this story. The first thing we have to know from these two vignettes is that we receive life from God. He's the source of life. He's the author of life. He gave us life when he saved us, right? When I think about TallaWood, when I describe TallaWood to other people who don't know about you, I always say it's a life-giving church. In other words, some churches steal life, take life, uh, make you feel miserable, guilt you, shame you. But TallaWood is a place that I have found where people are consistently giving life to each other. And we learn this from our Savior who's given life to us. And so Jesus comes into this city. You remember the story? And it's in Luke chapter 18. If you have your Bibles with you, you can kind of open up with me in verses 35 to 43. And Jesus is, is walking into town there. And he encounters this blind beggar. And this guy knows something's happened. Maybe he feels the ground move before he hears the noise of the crowd. Because you can imagine, he's sitting on the ground. And he's begging. And he's asking for help and he hears he says who's coming well Jesus of Nazareth and he's heard the name of Jesus he knows that Jesus is the Messiah and he he expresses that by saying Jesus son of David now he's not just recognizing that Jesus is a descendant of David but he's saying you're the most illustrious descendant you're the actual Messiah you're the one and he says have mercy on me so what does he know about Jesus that Jesus is the Messiah and second that Jesus is merciful mercy is when you don't get what you deserve grace is when you get what you don't deserve when you get better than you deserve and he cries out and says literally mercy me <laughs> have mercy on me and they try to quiet him down but but he shouts even louder Jesus son of David have mercy on me and Jesus does exactly that and I love the question Jesus asks him because I think he's asking this question of everybody in this room today so what do you want me to do for you so how would you answer that I mean, he's not a genie. You understand that. He's not obligated to do anything for us. Paul says in verse 35 of 11, um, who has ever given first to God that God should repay him? He doesn't have to repay us anything. He doesn't owe us anything. But if God said to you, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? This guy could have said, um, I need some food. I'm hungry. Or he could have said, I need some money. That's why he's sitting out there. But he goes for the home run. He says, um, yeah, I want to see. If you're asking, what do I want more than anything in the world I would like to see? And Jesus heals him. And then for the rest of his life, he's going to live his life with 20-20 vision in view of God's mercy. He couldn't see he asks to see, he sees, and when he looks up, who does he see? The merciful one who has answered his prayer, who has shown him mercy. So here's my question. What would you do for a person who did something like that for you? I mean, how would you repay somebody who, if you had been your whole life blind, gave you your vision. What would you do for that person? So that's the first vignette. Here's the second vignette. Jesus comes into Jericho and there's a tax collector there and he really wants to see Jesus. So he climbs up in a sycamore tree, you know, for the Lord he wanted to see, to see, you know, the song. Maybe you learned that when you were a kid. And he climbs up in the tree. Why? Because whether he knows it or not, he needs to see mercy because he's accumulated all this wealth, but apparently it's not enough. That's why he's climbing trees because that's undignified. A person of his position in culture would not run. He runs. He, there's an urgency there. He climbs up in a tree. I mean, when I was a kid, maybe you still do climb a tree. I have no interest in climbing a tree anymore. But he climbs up in the tree. Why? Because he has to see Jesus. He wants to see mercy. But what he has no idea will happen actually happens. Mercy sees him. Jesus looks up at him, calls him down, and says, I have to stay at your house today. I have to stay at your house. So um, you might think that's an imposition. For instance, if I said to you, so I'm coming to your house today um, to eat, eat lunch with you, what are we having? You, you would say, yeah, that's, uh, no, you're not doing that. Um, but in this case, it was a great honor because Jesus is a great rabbi and he's willing to come. And Jesus probably got lots of invitations, but Jesus is saying, I have to stay at your house. And for, for Zacchaeus, this is a transformative moment how do we know that because Jesus will say at the end of this in verse 10 salvation has come to this house and I came to seek and to save what was lost and Zacchaeus somehow senses that his life is never ever going to be the same again so what would a wealthy person like Zacchaeus do in view of God's mercy and the only way he knows how to express things see money is his uh, language that's his love language he's been loving himself with money for lots of years and now he says, so I'm going to give money to the poor. And I'm going to give back to those from whom I've stolen. In other words, I see God's mercy. And so I want to present my life as an offering to God. How do they do it in, in this story? How do they do it? Well, um, the blind man, verse 43 of Luke chapter 18, when he realizes what, what Jesus has done for him, it says, immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus praising God. Remember in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, uh, in, Luke, in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, This is your true and proper worship. Other translations, you've, you've seen it. This is your spiritual act of worship. Um, this is how you really worship God. And how does he worship God? Well, look, the, he's a blind man. He's never had anything. He was sitting there because he was begging. So what does he have to give to Jesus? Well, he follows Jesus, he just gets up and follows Jesus because he wants to be with him. I shared with uh, our uh, Bible study earlier this year the story of uh, a dark time in American history when there was slavery. And a man from the north, uh, the northern part of our country, came to a slave auction block and bought a person out of slavery. And he walks out of the auction block with this young man. And the young man thinks now he's this person's slave. And the man who bought him said so you're free. He said what do you mean I'm free? He said you're free. I bought you to set you free. He said you mean I'm, a, I'm free to do whatever I want to do? I said yeah you're free to do whatever you want to do. I'm free to say whatever I want to say? Yes, you're free to say whatever you want to say. You mean I'm free to go wherever I want to go? Yes, you're free to go wherever you want to go. And the young man looks at the person who has purchased him out of slavery and says, Yeah, then I'm going with you. You give me freedom, you tell me I can go anywhere. I want to go with the person who set me free. I mean, isn't that what the blind man's doing when he follows Jesus? This is the sign of discipleship. Jesus has been saying, follow me to everybody who will listen. Most people that Jesus said follow me to actually came and followed him. We have that one example we looked at recently where the rich young ruler, um, Jesus says to him, so sell your possessions, give the money to the poor, and follow me, and it says he went away sad. Even though Jesus loved him, he loved what he owned More than he loved the one who could give him life. But not this blind man. This blind man stands up. Well, at one time, Jesus healed 10 lepers, and nine of them were like, woohoo, and they just take off. But one of them comes back to Jesus as if to say, So you gave me life. My life belongs to you. Uh, Then Zacchaeus, when he says, I'm going to give half of my money to the poor. Why? Well, he's been stealing from the poor through taxes all this time. And if I've, if I've deceived anybody, if I've cheated anybody, uh, I'll, I'll pay back four times what, what I owe. Zacchaeus' life is changed that day. And he can never forget that. He's willing to give his whole life back to God. I mean, what, what does money matter anymore? He's found his treasure. The treasure he was looking for while he was stealing from those people all those years. He's finally found in Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you something, when Jesus Christ becomes your treasure, when He becomes the most important thing in your life, that realigns the way you look at at everything. It It changes your whole life. And Zacchaeus realizes that in this moment. And so there's nothing too big to give away. And what I just want you to see is that Luke is showing us what it looks like to live in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy, give your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And both of these men do that. And I wondered this week, what would we do for somebody who gave us our whole lives? What will we do for a, a person like that? Um, Jim Elliott, the missionary to the Akka Indians years ago, said, He is not a fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jesus said, if you try to hold on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll gain it. And these, um, the blind man and Zacchaeus, they learned that lesson that God is the life-giving God. And I just want us to sort of soak in that today and realize that our God wants to give us life. So what we discover is that, that apart from Him, we... We have this um, th- this amazing spiritual debt that we can never repay. I read about a guy this week who um, accessed his PayPal account, and there was a mistake in it. And it turned out that the PayPal account said he owed ninety-two trillion excuse me quadrillion dollars. Ninety-two quadrillion. It was a mistake, obviously, and PayPal corrected it. But what if you really did owe ninety-two quadrillion dollars, and somebody forgave you that? How would you feel about that? Jesus told stories about that, about a man who owed more than he could pay in his lifetime, and the person just tore up the debt and and said, "You're, you're free. What would you do for a person like that? So William Booth, years ago, founded the Salvation Army, and he noticed after he became a Christian that nobody was doing anything for the poor in England, and he wanted to do something for them. And this was sort of his prayer of surrender. Lord, I give you everything there is And this man, William Booth, do with me what you will. Would you pray that kind of prayer? Would you say to God, so here is my whole life. You gave it to me, and I'm giving it back to you. I've had the privilege of pastoring lots of people through the years and one man that I loved greatly was a, name, a man named Dr. Ben Oliver. He's famous down in Rio de Janeiro. We went to the seminary down there, and his face is on the wall. He was one of the presidents of the seminary down there. He retired, get this, in 1967. And I was his pastor in 1992. So 25 years after he retired, you say, he must have retired young. No, no. When I was his pastor, he was in his late 80s and early 90s, and we translated scriptures together, and he when he died, he gave me, he willed me his Greek New Testament. I still have it up in my office. Um, it's, it's a treasure to me. And, and I, I'm sure I'd heard this song before, but I never loved it until the day when we had his funeral service. And he had put together this beautiful um, funeral service. And the song that we sang was, do you know this hymn, O oh, love that will not let me go? O oh, love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. And listen to these words. And give thee back The life I owe. I give you back the life I owe that in your ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. So here it is. It's like the writer of the song is saying, so my life is like just a teardrop. But you've given it to me and so I give it back to you and when my teardrop of a life is immersed in the ocean of your love and mercy, then my life becomes more than I ever thought it could be. So, in answer to Mary Oliver's question, what are you planning on doing with your one wild and precious life? Give it back to God. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your presence in this place, for the gift of life, Lord, that we have received from You. And help us, I pray today, Lord, not to take Your life, the life You've given us, for granted. But in view of your crucifixion and your resurrection and the life we have found in Christ, Lord, we don't want to live our lives for ourselves. We want to live our lives for you. So, Lord, as we come close to uh, Serve the City Day on April 16th, where we're going to go out and serve this city, Lord, our calendars probably are so full that we're wondering, how in the world are we going to do that? How would we have time to pray for our neighbors in our Pray for Every Neighbor campaign? How would we have time, Lord, to go and serve the city on a Saturday morning? But then when we think about the fact, God, that our very lives are yours because you purchased them with the blood of your only Son, then, Lord, we become a bit less selfish and we begin to realize, God, so, our whole lives are about you because they come from you, and everything comes from you and through you, and everything is for you, and we were made by you and for you. And so, of course, Lord, we have time to serve other people. Of course, Lord, we have time to pray for other people because our lives belong to you. We only have one life. Each of us has one life, and it's wild, Lord. It's crazy sometimes how crazy life can be, and it's precious. Because it can be gone in a moment. So Lord, we want to be sure that we give you back the lives we owe. And Lord, make of us what you will. We belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen.